Hey, aloha, and welcome to Coffee with Coach. Coming to you at, always we do, Tuesday. At, it's evening in uh, the UK, but it's it's morning here in Hawaii. I'm at my house in uh, on the Big Island, and, and we are coming to you with all the latest news. We're going to talk a little bit of news. So, Mikey, come on, jump in here, and let's talk a little, chew up some news here a little bit. And I want to start Jeff, with... Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, brother. I want to start with J.J. Uh, Watt, who obviously is a the biggest move of the offseason so far, being released by the Titans, excuse me, by the Texans. And there is talk that he was in contact with the Titans. The Browns are apparently interested. I think the Packers are probably interested. Um, I think there'll be a lot of teams interested in his services. But, you know, the thing, Mike, is I don't know, you know, how they can do a contract not knowing what the cap is going to be yet. Yeah, and I think because, it's, you know, the, it's cap, the cap doesn't, you know, that, that doesn't become official probably for another month yet. Yeah, man, and look, obviously, welcome back. Welcome back home. And it's funny because the, the season itself last week was quite quiet after Brady won the Super Bowl, albeit a bit of a crazy party. And I was sitting last Friday thinking, man, very quiet week in the NFL. And then, boom, about 5 o'clock UK time on Friday, JJ Watt decides to leave the Texans which is obviously to be expected. But I completely agree with you. I, like, I think it's going to be a very slow mover in that sense. However, I think a lot of things will happen, You know, for example, free agency. But you know, until we know what the cap is going to be, it's going to be very difficult to see what happens. But uh, for me, I mean, you can, probably give, you, can, you can probably give your view on where you think he's going to go. For me, I, I think he's going to Green Bay. I've just got a feeling he's going to be you know, and I think that's kind of where I think he'd like to go, although the Browns apparently are making a strong play. Pittsburgh, Buffalo. I think he'd be magic in Buffalo because they need, you know, they need experience in that defensive line. They need experience in the room, probably on a one-year deal. But, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. Apparently, Larry Fitzgerald, they're, they're not pushing him at all about making a decision. He'll make that decision when, he's, when he wants to come to it down the road. I think that's class way for Arizona to handle that situation because – you know, you, you don't want to push a veteran who's done as much as he's done, you know, for for their team. Uh, did you see what Larry Fitzgerald um, tweeted, Jeff? He had a tough one. Though. What did he say? So he, he tweeted this about an hour ago, a picture of J.J. Watt and Larry Fitzgerald wearing the Cardinals jersey, and he says, uh, he said, let's finish what we started. There's your... Uh, oh, that's yeah. And Diop, those guys you never know, man. There's, this is what's great right now is I think the players are figuring out that they've got some power, and they're you know they're they're it's going to be interesting. They're going to start trying to put like LeBron did super teams together as much as you possibly can. I think the Bears. It's interesting news out of Chicago that the Bears may tag and trade Allen Robinson. That's an interesting move too, you know, because that's a you know they're so devoid of, of weapons. And I know he's, he's you know, he, I guess he's been unhappy, if you will, in, with some of the stuff that's going on, which obviously I would be too if I'm in, you know, playing in Chicago with the way that thing is gone. But that would, that's an interesting one. What do you make of that one? I think, like, there's there's one thing in talking about Robinson, but the Bears overall, you know, what, what happens to quarterback? There's, there's so many question marks, and that's what – like, I mean, it's awful we haven't got any football for six or seven months, but that's what's so good about this offseason. So much is going to happen. I think it's going to be a very interesting offseason for the Bears because they have to improve. You know, will they have a different quarterback starting in September? Almost certainly, if, if, if you're going by the rumors. So, yeah, I mean, if they tag Robinson, 
his, uh, you know, he might not be happy. Well, I, I you know, the, it's amazing. That tag thing is we, we're, we're going to go through that during the offseason, but that tag thing is a crazy deal. Jason Sanders uh, going to sign a five-year, $22 million extension with the Dolphins. Great news for Dolphin fans. Yes, sir. And obviously a team on the up uh, this season. Some great performances and a great time to be a Dolphins fan. A few years in the abyss, like some of us for our own teams have experienced recently. But the Dolphins are starting to look really good, man. And that's a great sign for them. You know, everybody right now during the offseason is looking, you know, to make their football team better. And you got free agency. You've got, you know, you're talking about and free agency is interesting. It's the un, unrestricted free agents, the restricted free agents, and then what we call the street free agents, like a like a JJ Watt, a guy that's released. He passes through waivers. You basically can pick him up for nothing and, and do a new contract with him. So there's so many ways to to improve your football team, and great organizations are going to dabble in all of that. But the one that everybody gets that gives everybody so much. Uh, anxiety and, and so much heartache and so much joy is the talk of the draft. And we have a guy with us today, Mike, that I think is one of the really, really bright young guys in terms of player evaluation, the NFL draft. He's been a, he's been a uh, personnel guy for 10 years. He started out as a regional scout, moved up to assistant GM. Uh, he's now working as a, as a independent consultant and is our draft expert. So let's let's bring on Professor Zimmerman. Zim, great to have you on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Happy to be here. Hey, listen now. When we go and uh, uh, talk about the, the draft here, I want to I want to before we get to the draft itself, I want to talk about your background. Um, guy played college football. Decided you wanted to go rather than coaching. You wanted to go into into scouting. Where did that come from? Do I got you? Yeah, you got me. Just cut up for a second. Sorry. That's all right. The, the, the desire to become a scout, get into personnel, where'd that come from? Yeah, I mean, um, I obviously grew up uh, in Canada. I uh, grew up in a, in a medium-sized town in Canada, London, Ontario, with about uh, 500,000 people. Um, and, uh, yeah, grew up a fan of the NFL. Loved watching the NFL. Uh, loved the uh, roster building side behind it and uh, loved playing football and was fortunate to uh, to go to school at a, at a local university in, in uh, Waterloo, which is about an hour away from London and about an hour away from Hamilton and uh, kind of got my, uh, I guess I got my teeth kind of sunk into the actual football world. I know you, you go through high school in Canada and it's, it's a little different. It's not, you know, the same you'd see uh, down in the States or other places with the structure and um, that that jump to university is uh, is a big jump, and you kind of get to learn more of the inner schematics behind football. and uh, And I was really fortunate to uh, get an unbelievable education from you know three people who were longtime uh, CFL and, and professional coaches, and Joe Pow Pow, Dennis McPhee, and, and Connie Quahi. And uh, Connie, who was my O line coach, was a uh, nine year NFL center at six one, two hundred and sixty two pounds. So. Um, he had some tools and tricks to definitely bestow on me. And, and I say this, I say this, and, and Jeff, I know you take this the right way as a coach is I think there's a, a difference between a, a, a coach and a great teacher. And I think sometimes coaches can be teachers, but a great coach 
is going to uh, teach their pupils the game of football. And, and that's what Connie really did for me is it wasn't so much about just understanding the plays. It was understanding the framework behind it, why we're running it, what the coverage is going to be, why we're running check with me series. And it really kind of, and then allowing to sit in on when he's writing the self scout for our opponents and all those different mechanics were new. Like that was new exposure to me of the football world. I was used to just going to practice, going through the drills, you know, running whatever inside run team script, and then going home and playing the games. And that part outside of it, the, all those roles uh, really attracted me just to, I love football. Well, I grew up a uh, single mom, Jewish mom, and she wants all their uh, sons to go to law school. That's kind of the way. So my, uh, I guess my, my, my caveat was at the end of my university career, I, I sat down with my coach, uh, Connie, and he asked, Hey Spence, do you want to get into coaching? I said, I coach, I, I'd love to work in the NFL one day. And, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to go to law school. And, uh, that's kind of what started it. And so while I was writing for my LSATs, I'm, I'm searching online and, our, our uh, university had a web portal. Well, this job posting for the Hamilton Tiger Cats pops up and it was on the business side. They were looking for interns. So I, I sent my resume in. I was studying for my LSATs. I thought this would be kind of a great segue to I'm going to get some professional football experience. I'm going to couple that with the law degree and I'm going to try to, you know, the same path that Howie Roseman did. I'm going to try to find my way through the NFL that way. And uh, I sent my resume I ended up getting a call back. Uh, it had gotten flipped to the football operations side, which again was a little new to me. Understanding, you know, what what really encompassed the whole football operations and all the different hats you wore. So, I go in for an interview. I end up getting uh, hired and do a uh, an eight month inter internship there, and uh, that actually ended up leaving me to not leaving the building and uh, staying on and kind of working my way. Uh, through kind of the scouting ranks. And then um, ultimately we got to work together for, for three years there and had some success. And then, um, you know, especially in this business is uh, how you grow is just through new opportunities. And I ended up getting connected with a really longtime GM coach in the league, Jim Barker, who's with, with another rival actually down the road, Toronto, and uh, ended up taking job there and uh, kind of like what, I think there's two levels of scouting. You know, I think with the with the first level is just getting in, you know, trying to get in, get get your foot in the door. The second level is you're going to meet some people that really can change your career, you know, change your life. And and Jim was one of those guys in the sense of I take a job as the director of scouting. I'm 26. I'm I'm just happy to have the job and to you know work the neg list and scout and go it on the road. And and seven months into the job, Jim brings me into his office, meets with me, and. Uh, and says, hey, I, you know, I believe in you. You know, I see things in you and, and I'm going to offer you the assistant GM job. Do you want it? And for a 27 year old uh, working in, in a really established league that had a lot of qualified people. I mean, I wasn't the most qualified person for the job. It was just, you know, the, the like I said, there's some people that you're going to meet in this business that are going to take an opportunity on you. And that was really a, uh, a real life changing opportunity for me. And I ended up taking the job and uh just how the business goes two months later the guy that hired me was let go and uh we're a month before free agency and uh um you know i was kind of left to interim uh, football ops and kind of guide the team through agency and ultimately it led to the team hiring you know a well-known uh former chicago bears coach and mark tressman and, and a hall of fame gm and jim pop and ended up winning a great cup that year and uh stayed in toronto for another year and then got back to hamilton for the last two years where we got to uh 
work together again with the whole crew, you know, in Orlando Steinauer. So that's really kind of my long winding path over the last nine years. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's my football career in a nutshell. Well, you know, it's, I mean, it's interesting to me, Thomas Dimitrov kind of fa- followed a very similar path. You know, his, he went to college in Canada. I'm talking about the, the ex Falcons GM and right. a guy that's got a great reputation in the business with player evaluations and putting teams together and all of that. So let's get right into the, the nuts of it, the nuts and bolts of it, Spence. We're going to talk with you about each of the position groups in the draft. And I know right now you're working on putting, um, stacking your board and, and putting together what your list of potential first rounders would be. And when we're going to talk about probably the most, I guess it's maybe the most important position in, NFL football today, all professional football, the quarterback position. And when let's talk about evaluating a quarterback. Now, as a personnel man, a 10 year personnel man that's watched hours and hours and hours of film. And when you guys get together as scouts, as personnel guys, and you talk about the quarterback position, what are the measurables, first of all, and then those also those intangibles, those non measurable things? that you look at when you're evaluating a quarterback? Yeah, well, I think I think your latter point kind of hit the head on the nail is that uh, the tape is is so important at all positions. But, you know, it might be, you know, arguably uh, probably the, the least factoring when it comes to quarterback. I mean, every tape's important and evaluating the tape's important. But but like you like you alluded to, the the intangibles are paramount. They're the one leveler to the quarterback position. I think you're going to look at quarterbacks and there's going to be different flavors, whether it's based on the scheme, the team's running based on um, just w- what they're looking for athletically from that position. But the intangibles are kind of the, the, the balancing act between all the different types of quarterbacks. And that's something that you really sometimes can't measure on the tape. You know, you're going to get some indicators. And, and what do I mean by intangibles? Well, the really the, the core ones are the leadership, the accountability, the competitiveness. I mean, is this going to be somebody that's going to galvanize your building, right? Is he going to be, is he going to be accountable to his teammates? Is he going to model the expectations? Those are things that you need to find out that the tape necessarily isn't going to tell you. And I think that's first and foremost, and it's, it's fun getting to watch these really, really talented quarterbacks, especially in this crew. But it's always important to have that caveat when you're watching the tape is, you know, I, I didn't get to visit Clemson. You know, I don't, I don't really know the inner details in the background of that player. I didn't get to talk to his offensive coordinator or his quarterback coach or his high school coach. And that's a lot of the legwork that that the scouts are doing right now to understand the player because everyone can watch tape and, and some are better than others, but it's really understanding the profile of a guy that's going to be a leader, you know, at your position. And the second one that kind of correlates with the intangibles is that mental capacity. I mean, does this guy have the aptitude to learn football? You know, can he process it? in a high pressure environment where he's going to get multiple looks and he's going to have to react to it. And I guess I I like to call this intangible. This is like in between the whistle intangible. It's the awareness and instincts and that stuff you're going to see on tape. You know, you you look at a player like Drew Brees who had an unbelievable career and uh, Drew, I mean, there's times where Drew, he may not have clear vision to see that deep post, but you know what? He triggers when he sees, okay, he's got he's got middle field open and he understands and he has the awareness where it might not be clear for his vision, 
but his awareness, his instincts are going to allow him to make that throw. You know, you, you see a play about a guy we're going to talk about later, Mac Jones in the national championship game. He throws a, a, a swing off play action to, to Najee and he's blind and drops it in. And that's instincts. That's, that's understanding. Obviously having preparation can help with that, but you can't coach that. You can't teach that. And when we get into like the, the core traits, I mean, I'm going to bundle up into one word and two words, I guess, but one phrase, arm talent. I mean, that's what you're looking for. And in, in, in the olden, I guess, way back when you used to hear about arm strength and velocity and does the ball jump out of their hands and all those things are important. But I think arm talent does a great job of encompassing. Now we're talking about the accuracy, their delivery, how quickly they can get the ball out. Can they throw the ball off multiple platforms? Do they have the arm strength to drive the ball? Do they have the velocity to fit it into tight windows? And then the touch, you know, there's, there's, you got to throw with touch at certain times. So all those things kind of encompass that arm talent. I think those three things are paramount at the quarterback position. You know, Spence, when I talk to the guys that in, in personnel, I really trust Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, yourself, you, you guys, there seems to be, and it's a, there's a little bit of a variance of opinion about it, but one of the things it appears to be is that maybe the, the requirements of the position are beginning to change and evolve where being six, five and having, you know, this Howard's are like a Josh Allen arm. Yeah, that's great, but that's not the be all end all because now you're starting to see more dynamic athletes come into the league. So for example, when you evaluate a Lamar Jackson, how do you evaluate him against a, you know, Tom Brady, if you will, because they're so divergent in talent and physical attributes. And the same thing is, does Tampa evaluate a quarterback different than Baltimore does because of the nature of what they do? I think it's a great point. I think it's, I think it's just, it comes down to what I talked about, that flavor. You know, when you talk about what, what is a great personnel department in Compass, they have that synergy with, with the coaching staff to understand how that player is going to be used, what we're going to ask the quarterback to do, and you're going to see different schemes. Some schemes, the quarterback's going to live in the pocket, you know, and he's going to live with his arm and getting rid of the football and working through his progressions. You're, you're seeing other schemes now coming into the NFL where they're going to change the launch points. You're going to move the, you're going to move the quarterback. You're going to ask the quarterback to participate actively in the run game. And it's just another element and threat. And I think it comes down to what you want out of that position and what the vision is for that player. And I think like that, that that's really like the end all be all is you're right. Like we're doing the stack and another team might have it completely inverse because like they're valuing different traits for that quarterback position. And I think that's the uniqueness of scouting in this day and age is there's so many different ways to win in the NFL. There really is. And I don't think there is one recipe in the moment, you know, everyone's studying the Super Bowl champions. That's kind of what the trend is, but guess what? that one team that stays different, they still have to play them. And that can make it a very challenging team when you're preparing for maybe traditional norms. And then you get this one team that stays true to their identity and you have to play against them that week. So I do think it really has that, that, that relationship of like the synergy between the, the coaching staff, the personnel department and understanding of the plan of how we're going to utilize that, that player, especially at the quarterback position. All right, let's 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 get into it now. You you've got five guys that you really like. 
your guys, have, these guys all have first-round grades on them. I want you to take us through your top five. Just talk briefly about a minute or two minutes about each one of these guys and kind of where you would see as a light comparison, if there is one, to another NFL player or a team that you think this kid's skill set would, would play very well in. Yeah. So we'll, we'll start it off with, uh, and, and this is a really interesting group, kind of getting into their tape and studying them. I think the, the first one is, there might be a consensus, there might not, but uh, we got to start with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, um, he's special. I mean, he's got the prototype size. He's extremely polished. I mean, he's got really pretty mechanics. When you look at his base, his posture, his delivery, and he's really got a wide array and balanced passing skill set. And, you know, what I mean by that is he can flick it in the quick game. You know, he can anticipate and throw his wide receivers open. He can layer the ball, you know, in that second level of coverage. And he can drive a deep ball. I mean, he's just balanced. And on top of all that, of his skills as a passer, he's a really good athlete. I mean, he's got a long stride. He's constantly getting the edge in the run game. Um, you can see him in, in, in the zone read game working in between the tackles and he's slippery and he's instinctive to set up blocks. And it's just an underrated element to his game because he's so gifted as a passer and the poise and toughness is just really impressive. I mean, I go back to this one play was, uh, against Ohio state in that, uh, in that game. And, you know, he's, he's, he's under pressure. Uh, they have a free blitzer in his face and he's off his back foot and kind of steps into that throw and drives just, a beautiful deep ball um, where really only the receiver can touch it. And that's just like, there's gifts to that. There's toughness, there's poise. I mean, he's got it all. And he's got the pedigree of winning since high school in Clemson. So I just think he is. And, and I go back to like long ago when I started scouting, I guess not too long ago, but he's just so polished. Like Andrew Luck was coming out and they might be different. They might be different in their body type, but just the polish, the readiness, um, what you can do with him, the uniqueness of what you can do with him week to week in the game plan. I mean, he, he's a guy that can live in the pocket. He's a guy that can work in the run game. He's a guy you can move and set different launch points with. And I think he could be really a nightmare once he gets comfortable with all the different things he can do offensively, you know, and he's kind of that is that unique player in that sense. So he's definitely number one. All right. He's your number one. Who's your number two guy? So number two is interesting. He's a guy that, uh, you know, I watched a little bit last year um, on a sophomore and then really kind of jumped on the tape this year in his junior tape. And, and that's Zach Wilson, you know, at a BYU. And uh, probably the best way to summarize uh, Zach is he's a gunslinger. And I think, uh, you know, I think we talk a lot about athleticism and especially when you talked about it with Lamar athleticism at the quarterback position, but, I think one of the highest compliments you can give a quarterback is, is he an athletic passer? And uh, that's, that's what, that's what Zach is. I mean, and what I mean by that is from a baseball, you know, uh, vernacular is he can turn the double play. He's so good at manipulating his arm slots to throw around defenders, whether it's an underhand to a sidearm um, and just a really, really gifted athletic guy. And how does he do that? I mean, I can I can only guess, and I bet you he watches a lot of uh, Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes because just the way that he can use, he's got that firm front side in his upper body and how he can deliver off-platform throws. That means not in his normal pre-passing stance and deliver them accurately and deliver strikes downfield. I mean, he's really, really impressive. There's 
one play again that sticks out to me, and it's his last game against UCF right near the end of the game, and they're on the right hash, and he does a full roll to the left, pulls up, squares up, which for anyone knows a right-handed quarterback throwing to the left side is extremely challenging because you're going to really open up that, that front side, that offside shoulder as you're trying to throw. Off balance in the air, drives a 35-yard pass, you know, off platform, which is, I mean, that's rare. That's a gifted, gifted passer. So I, I just, I love this guy's arm talent and I love the athleticism of his arm. And BYU did a great job of just showcasing, obviously they did it to win, but just all the different formation and schemes under center and the RPOs and some of the deep shots. I mean, this is an impressive guy. Sure. He's going to have, there's, there's, there's some, he's a, he's a, he's a gunslinger. So there's going to be some risks and he's going to have to minimize some of those, but a, a, a solid athlete as well that can create with his feet, which I think is important in this day and age in the NFL, but the arm talent's impressive. And, and, and I guess scheme wise, what I see him interesting is right now we're seeing a lot of this uh, and we've had for a while this, the, you know, the wide zone scheme, you know, that we're seeing through the, the Mike Shanahan tree and kind of what's permeating through the NFL not wide zone scheme. There's a lot of play action based off of it where you're getting a lot of nakeds, a lot of keepers, and I mean, this, this guy is perfect for that type of setting, just all the off schedule and all the ways he can throw around coverage uh, is really impressive. And his, and I mean, he's good. I mean, he's going to be an interesting one because I know he's probably risen up boards just through this season. Another BYU quarterback can't, can't, can't beat those BYU quarterbacks. No. Hey, uh, take us to number three. Yeah. Number three is it, it might be uh different for some people and, and, uh, and the sample size is limited, but uh, number three for me is going to be Trey Lance. So Trey Lance is uh, he's an interesting one. He's interesting because in the scouting world, I mean, he was born in the year 2000. So that's when you know when you're climbing the years, when a prospect can be born in the year 2000 and kind of enter the NFL draft. So he's 20 years old. I mean, he's got great size, good thick build, strong, athletic. And again, the thing that jumps out for me with Trey is just the arm talent. I mean, his ability to drive the football, the pace of his ball, how he fits it into tight windows, it's really impressive. He's got really strong feet. And what I mean by that is he's really, really athletic in his drops and how he gets to the top of his drops, how quickly he can throw from the top of that drop. His pocket mobility, I mean, this is a, this is a thick, strong kid that you see him climb. And the way he climbs and rips through, and creates explosive. I mean, he's an explosive, strong runner. He truly is a high-end dual threat prospect. And uh, and it's going to be interesting. And the reason why I have him at three is just the ceiling. I mean, this is a guy that as a true sophomore, you know, he starts at a, at a really prominent program at the FCS level. And his stat line is he throws for 2,800 yards, 28 touchdowns, no picks, picks up another 1,100 yards on the ground with 14 touchdowns as a true sophomore in his first starting experience. And yeah, he only got to play in one game, you know, because of COVID his junior year and tried to force some things. And, and I still thought it was a solid outing on his end. But th the ceiling is just so high that uh, this is someone that you want to work with, you know, and, and really the ceiling is, is, is really the, the potential is limitless with this type of player. So I love Trey. Um, I think he can be – he's going to be a really interesting guy to – see how teams navigate through the process and weigh in the fact that he really only has one year of starting experience and only has this one game uh, in the 2020 season to go off of. 
You know, is this a kind of guy because of the limited amount of snaps he's had at, at, at the college level, obviously losing a whole junior year with, you know, I mean, I know they played one game, but it, it, you really basically lost your whole junior year, but the athletic skill that you see, that you see that you talk about Spence, is this the kind of kid that needs to go somewhere where there's an established veteran who may be on the downturn of his career and now this is a guy who you can do what they did with Mahomes. Just sit him for a year and basically play him very limited early on, but let him develop, let him learn how to become a pro, and you've got a great one. You're really drafting down. I guess you're saying you're drafting for the future, but certainly this kid has the physical abilities that you know that you look for. That's a great point, and yeah – I mean, I think that would be optimal. I don't, I don't want to – the one thing that's interesting is you hear North Dakota State, FCS, he is, he's pretty polished. I mean, I know he only has one year of sophomore experience, but you put on the tape and you see the footwork and the balance he throws with and just the mechanics on his play action and his drops, his ball protection in terms of when he's ripping up. Like, he's been coached, but I do think – that just understanding the mental capacity and getting into a new offense. And, and yeah, he's 20 years old and he's had one year of starting experience. Like it would definitely behoove him to have that type of mentor. Cause I think that's the best way players learn in this business is you got to have, when you're building a team, you need to have players that are going to model what it means to be a professional, right? That that's just like, you could have the most draft capital in the world, but if you don't have players at that level, especially at the quarterback position, it, it gets challenging because then it's someone else trying to figure it out, you know, with, with obviously a coaching staff, but it's much different than playing in my opinion. So yeah, I do, I do see that as a, as a really good spot if he could land with someone that that's an experience. Oh, to to yeah. To me, I mean, I know he'll never get this far down, but he would be the perfect guy to go to Tampa Bay. I mean, the perfect guy to sit behind Brady and watch what, because Trent Dilfer said to me, Spence, one time, I said, Trent, what, what was it? You know, you, you go out from being a great player at Fresno state, right. And you're the number one pick in the draft by the bucks. And you're, you know, you're giving the keys to the city and the, you know, you're the franchise guy. He said, you cannot understand the enormity of the position until you're in it. And he said that he really thinks it's wise if possible to give a guy a chance to learn what it means to be. And I mean, he's, he went to Fresno and now Fresno's not, you know, Fresno's good football, but this kid went to North Dakota state and he's playing South Dakota state and South Dakota. Right. And that's not to knock those programs, but it's just a different level of competitiveness around it. Give me number Absolutely. four. Yeah. Number four is going to be, uh, you know, definitely a consensus top five guy, uh, Justin Fields. And uh, you know, Justin, listen, he's undeniably you can't you can't deny the toughness you know as a runner and obviously operating in the pocket you know I, I i really you want to highlight him as a passer and it's interesting because he's definitely got some arm strength i mean you, you look at the clemson game and and he threw a couple great deep balls but there's one deep ball where he threw for a touchdown um where he's he's off a of one hitch throwing a 45 50 yard ball which is impressive i mean you see flashes of some NFL first round type, you know, arm strength throws. Um, but like as a runner, again, he's another really good athlete and, you know, he's got strength. He's got some explosives to kind of create in the open field. I think 
the what's interesting about him is he's really played a lot of good competition, really high end competition. I think that's going to factor into it, but it also can work against him. You know, when you look at the Northwestern game, when you look at the Alabama game, he's playing a lot of press man teams and he's got to work in, he's got to make those tight window throws. And, you know, maybe his body of work wasn't as, you know, great as some of the other top guys, but it was because of the level of competition he played at. So I think for him, what's going to be great to see is, especially when he does have his pro day is the consistency of his footwork. That was kind of the one thing I noticed is just, he's going to overstride a little bit, you know, his ball's going to, the accuracy is going to have some issues, going to sail on him a little bit because of him getting into his front shoe a little too early, but, and I'm sure he's going to work with that with the quarterback coach and kind of clean that up. But the, the, the tape of the high level type of production the big games, the toughness, the dual threat ability. I mean, he's a guy you want to work with. Um, and there's definitely a lot of potential there with him. All right. Let me ask you a question. Any any credence to the Ohio State issue? No quarterbacks. I mean, great, great college program wins a ton of games. When's the last Ohio State quarterback that's played really well in the National Football League? And I mean, there have been a bunch of them that have been drafted. But and guys that have hung around for a long time, but not really any starters come out of that program that you go, wow, you know. I mean, you got to go back some years to that. So, you think there's any credence to that? I think I think you I think the smartest thing to do is to try to block it out because like and and, and it goes into the other thing of just scope when you're scouting is when you're watching Trey Lance you have to project okay what are his receivers running forty times when when he's missing on a deep ball. Is it, did he overthrow or is he throwing to a guy that runs a four, eight, you know, or a four, seven, like you need to. So, and it works the other way too, right? When you're watching Mac Jones, when you're watching Justin Fields, they got weapons. I mean, those two Ohio state uh, players that are coming back, they can fly, they can take the top off coverage. Right. But like that shouldn't work against him. And he's still operating the offense efficiently. He's still making some really big time throws. It's just, the consistency. And again, he's played some really stingy defensive teams and that tape gets watched and evaluated. And then you have to kind of put it on a, on par with the guy that was playing at North Dakota state at the FCS level. So I think it's interesting. I just think you're better off in that case, trying to block it all out and kind of focus on the player and the scheme they're being asked to operate in. All right. Let's talk about the national championship quarterback. Now you got him at number five. Yeah, Mac Jones, man. So, you know, a one-year starter that's obviously had sat behind uh, just a bunch of NFL starting quarterbacks pretty much and kind of came on the scene. And and uh, it, it's funny, you know, you heard a lot about this uh, young uh, freshman they have named Young that's, you know, I'm sure you're going to play next year. He was a dynamic five-star, and, and Mac was kind of an afterthought. And then he starts uh, that one week one in – he just never looks back. And and the thing that jumps out to me out of him is, listen, like when you talk about from an arm talent perspective, it's solid. You know, you're, you're watching these other four guys and they're making some really high end throws and some, some NFL level. You're like, wow. But the thing that stood out to me most about Mac, and especially as you watch the sequence of his games, is he played his best football at the end. And in the sense of this, he executed the offense highly efficient. And this is an NFL-level offense that Steve Sarkeesian was running. And he executed it unbelievably, especially in that national championship game. You look at him, the timing and the rhythm of his footwork. What do I take from that? 
he's been coached and he's received the coaching and translated it onto the field and has continued to progress the manipulations. I mean, you hear a lot about manipulations. This guy's holding the safety. You can see based on some of the concepts that I know of actually when he is, okay, he's looking off this safety or he's going to hold this, this defender here. And he knows it and how he sets it up and where he throws. And again, he's going to get knocked because he has the best receiving core in football. That's making a lot of plays that he had to get them the ball quickly and let them work in the first level in space. He had to get them the ball downfield and he had to get the ball in stride, but that's, he still executed and he still put the ball on the numbers. He still threw with great timing. And I just see him as a guy that is going to be able to come in and in the right offense, execute it and assimilate quickly. And if you're not overly concerned about the mobility, because he isn't the most mobile guy, however, Again, mobility doesn't mobile. If you if you're aware and you know where your checkdowns are, you know where you're hot. Mobility can be somewhat overrated in the NFL. So, I really really liked this guy watching the tape, and I just kept watching the tape, and it, and it was interesting. You kind of throw out some of the core traits, and you say you can win with a player like this, and it'll be interesting to see how the intangibles match up, right? Because it's going to be the real important is what you see on tape. Does that intelligence? Does that command of the offense? Does that translate? off the field, you know, when teams start interviewing him and talking to some of uh, the sources uh, at his school. Hey, man, I appreciate you being with us this, this morning, giving us your top five quarterbacks. We'll be back next week with another position group as Spencer starts to stack his board. And you can stack yours right along with us. Pay attention to what he says because he's, this is hours of tape and, and years and years of doing this. Uh I think it's really high-level stuff, Spencer. I appreciate you very much giving our giving our viewers and listeners an inside look at what happens in scouting and an inside look at, at how a, a high-level personnel guy evaluates these quarterbacks in the draft. And like I said, we'll be back with another, another position next week. So appreciate you, dude. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Jeff. Talk soon. All right. All right. Take care, man.